On this first uh, faculty staff chapel service of the year, we are privileged to have Dr. Jim Deal, James Deal. He needs no introduction to most of us, but for those of you who are somewhat new to the, to the staff, uh, Dr. Jim Deal is, uh, is a legend in many ways in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Dr. Deal and I have known each other for more years than I care to remember, uh, both growing up in the state of Iowa and uh, have uh, very fond memories of knowing Jim at an early age. Uh, Dr. Deal has uh, served as an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. He's been a pastor. He's been a college administrator. He was vice president at Mid-America for a period of time a number of years ago and then recently has served as the interim president at Mid-America. He served as a district superintendent in the state of Nebraska and here in Colorado. And uh, he served as pastor of Denver First Church. And in 1993 was elected by the General Assembly in Indianapolis, Indiana to uh, be general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, a position that he held for 16 years. I had, a, I had a unique privilege the day that uh, Dr. Deal was elected. I'm not sure he is even aware of this, but Dr. Deal's father had served as the district treasurer on the Iowa district for 40 plus years. And uh, at that general assembly when Dr. Deal was elected, I happened to be occupying the seat immediately in front of Don Deal, his father. And what a, what a thrill to not only share in the excitement of having uh, Jim Deal, Dr. Deal, being elected as the general, but to, able to, to be able to turn around and see the justifiable pride and happiness that his father had at that uh, wonderful moment. Uh, Dr. Deal is our friend. Uh, we appreciate him so much for being here in, uh, in this opening convention. Did a great job last night in preaching to the students and faculty that were here. And he's going to uh, speak to us in a few moments, but before we get to that, let's uh, stand together and Jonathan's going to lead us in worship. Good morning. Our theme for the year comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Let us all say it together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And we're going to focus on that this, this fall trimester. Let's worship this morning. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Amen. God, we thank you for your love this morning. Just meet with us here this morning. We invite you. Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you very much to uh, Jonathan and the, uh, the praise team there. Good to see you and welcome to uh, this very special chapel this morning. I... I need to be reminded that I am in a college 
and that you do have schedules <laughs> and probably classes. No, not classes after this. You have to go to work after this and do whatever you do. So uh, I'd better look at this watch once or twice this morning and, uh, and try to stay in the framework here and not just go all day till noon. Well, that might not be a bad idea, <laughs> you know, just put, put all the calls on hold and on we go. Well, well, good, uh, good to be together for these moments. The Lord gave us a wonderful service last night with quite a crowd. Uh, I was very uh, pleasantly um, impressed with all who were here and the life that was here and the energy and quite a scene of people uh, just uh, flooding all the altars a little bit beyond last night in just a new touch of God's power, which we all need, and uh, so it is. I, I've been gone a little too much from home lately, and we have also been in a move for the last two weeks, and we're not moving far away, but we're going from a two-story home with a basement level, garden level basement where my office was, that actually means three levels. Where I heard along the line that they make houses that, that are one level, <laughs> kind of called a ranch. <laughs> and uh, we thought that might not be a bad idea to quit dragging these suitcases clear upstairs and down, loaded up, you know, you get a little weary of that after a while. So uh, we're going to a, a one level with a lower level that is completed and it's a walkout thing when it's fine but it's way too close to where we live and I have learned that when you borrow a pickup truck you're doing it all yourself now we did have uh, a truck come and take get the bigger stuff you know I think they're called uh, two men and a dog or something like that you know that <laughs> ours was called the cowboy movers and they, they they got the bigger stuff but I've been doing way too much of that and then running off to uh, preach wherever I preach, and so I uh, kind of felt that uh, since I could be home by the time I would turn the light off in some motel around here, that maybe I should do that and go home last night and come back here and I'll stay through the day, but um, try not to run away from my wife, whose name is Dorothy, any more than I already do. So on the way here this morning, of course, getting up and trying to hurry up and get this and that and the other in the car, and today's garbage day at our place, and got dragging that stuff out and doing a few other things and uh, realizing it's rush hour traffic in Denver. So uh, I brought another pair of slacks and a shirt just in case I might need that, you know, who knows uh, uh, what, and I got, uh, oh, you know, 30 miles down the road, and, and I remembered that I didn't bring them. They're, they're hanging on the doorknob. So I called Dorothy and I said, hey, I forgot all of that. Well, then we had a sudden stop on the way down and everybody was hitting their brakes because of certain situation. And I, uh, you know, all was well. The, the mail that I'm supposed to read all ended up on the floor, but you know how that works. And I had no idea that my sport coat also came off the hook and it was on the floor. Didn't know that till I got here and I said, uh-oh, I forgot my sport coat because there was, it wasn't in the window. And I'd probably get thrown out if I'd not preach with a, at least a sport coat. I did have a tie, but anyway, it was in, the, in, a, in a heap on the floor. And I, I don't like it when my clothes look wrinkled, but I think the front's halfway decent, so I just don't look in the back. 
and I'll, I'll get it straightened out by tonight, you know. That, you know, I'm sure it's going to make a whole lot of difference to you and everybody else, but you know how life works. And so it is. Well, uh, I just decided, since I was uh, asked uh, early on this uh, semester, an opening convention, and your theme is uh, wonderful, you know, right out of Second Timothy, and that is, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind or self-control, self-discipline. Well, since there are three services, last night, right now, and tonight, and this definitely breaks into three parts, if, if you can see anything, you can see that, and that is God doesn't want us bound up by fear, but filled with power, number one, love, number two, self-control, uh, self-discipline, number three. And so I won't repeat uh, what I preached last night, except to say that I did learn along the journey that uh, the letter of Paul to Timothy that we call 2 Timothy was the last letter he ever wrote to anybody from a prison. From there, he was taken out down the road, martyred for the faith, and he knew what was coming. Evidently, the Roman guards told him that, that his death day was just around the corner. And I will repeat this, and then we'll get right back to that. But from chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Not to go on to another missionary journey or somewhere else, but they were going to take him, and, and his life would be cut short. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, there's a text, <laughs> probably used in more funerals than any other text in the Bible. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And you know that is a very special uh, text is a very special testimony. Uh, the end has come. I guess my days are numbered. I just want to testify, Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Man, that'll preach too. <laughs> that's, that's powerful truth right there. But when I learned that this was his last letter, that's when I wrote at the top of that Bible, and every Bible since then, last words from death row. That's what this letter is. And Timothy saying to Paul, excuse me, Paul to Timothy, now, now be sure you do this. Don't forget that. Won't have time to tell you this again. And on it goes. So with that uh, in mind, that it wasn't just from uh, a lakeside where he was inspired by the beauty. It was from a prison somewhere and there wasn't any beauty there. But he said back in chapter 1, uh, verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, or fan into flame the gift of God which is within you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love 
and self-control. I uh, preached last night about, uh, about uh, the, the plea and the prayer, Lord, help us to break free from the, the bonds of fear and fill us with holy power. Not to stand on somebody's platform and act like we're powerful, but to uh, live a Christ-like, spirit-filled, sanctified life in an ungodly world. That takes power from you, from me, from all. But then he said, and love. You can tell that the way my mind works about this scripture, it is in opposites. Power is the opposite of fear. Love is the opposite of something. Well, I think um, if we went right down to the, uh, the bottom line, the opposite of love is hate or hatred. Well, along the journey of life and uh, the ministry that I've been in, which the most enjoyable of all ministries has been uh, being a pastor. That's really where my heart was and is and probably ever will be. And even after working at the college, I went back to the pastorate. After being a district superintendent, I went back to the pastorate. That's where my heart is. That's, uh, that's what I love. In the pastorate, I learned a whole lot of stuff. And I, I learned by working, praying, observing, all that you do as a pastor. Uh, see if you think I'm right. I learned that hatred is not born in our hearts as hatred. Here's what, I, here's what I've got figured out. Hope I'm right. It all starts when we get hurt. And even sanctified people get hurt. Amen. There's no work of grace that God gives us where then people can treat us wrongly and say bad things to us and lie about us and it doesn't even hurt. <laughs> That's when you become an angel. <laughs> By the way, we're not going to be angels. <laughs> I've been hurt. You've been hurt. If you're alive and you're not just a baby, you've been hurt. Sometimes the hurt comes from the world. But you know what I have found? The deepest hurts have come from somebody in the church where they have done what they shouldn't do. They've said what they shouldn't say. They may have mounted a little, uh, uh, a little organization trying to throw you, throw you out of the church or if you're a pastor or whatever the, uh, the case might be. But we get hurt. And I, I, don't, I don't want to dwell here very long, but as wonderful as Nazarene Bible College is, I imagine something might happen along the line somewhere with a decision that somebody has to make that would hurt you because it's not the way you would like to see it happen. We have got to bring our hurts to the Lord and surrender them or our hurts will turn into bitterness. When, we, when it rolls around in there, in our heart, and in our mind, well, how come? Why did they do that? Why wasn't I elected there? Why wasn't I given that position? I, I, I'm going back now to the church as a, uh, as a layman, let's say. I've paid my tithe like anybody else, like everybody else, and they always choose somebody else to do this and that, and they kind of forget me. Uh, nobody likes me anyway, and the hurt, uh, you know what I mean? 
just goes like a tape recorder around and around. Bitterness. And if we don't give that bitterness to God, and I keep pointing to the altars, that's kind of our Nazarene way of talking, put it on the altar. That means put it on Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Give it to the Lord. If we don't take our bitterness and let it go, it'll turn into resentment. And that's a little deeper than bitterness, in my view. And if we don't give our resentment to God, it will turn into hatred. And brothers and sisters, hatred's not going to make heaven. You know what the Bible says? <laughs> Neither is bitterness. <laughs> Amen. And I'm preaching to wonderful people here today on a Wednesday morning, and you all look great, and you're all saved and sanctified and ready to go to heaven. But somebody right here today, possibly in recent weeks or months, you've suffered some kind of a disappointment, some kind of a hurt. I just want to tell you, it would be a great thing to give it to God. You can't fix everything anyway. Boy, did that take me a long time to learn that one. <laughs> you can't fix everything anyway. And people are not all the time going to do what you think they ought to do. So just give it to the Lord. I won't, I won't get into this at all because I don't want to and I don't have time anyway. But as a general superintendent, dealing um, with five other strong people on a board, if you think they always voted the way I thought they should, <laughs> just dream on. <laughs> and there is something about the structure of our church that was so uh, uh, intense within me that, um, that some were trying to change, and um, a decision was made that I did not like, and it bothered me for a long time. And I think I'm trying to be real careful here because <laughs> I'm talking about real good people that you all know. And they're as sanctified as I am. And you know what? I was, I know where I was. I was off in a, in a, at a campground somewhere, and I was on the phone talking to another general superintendent about it, and I was not too happy about a decision that had been made, and I hung up the phone, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit, whispered to me, honestly, folks, I can show you the spot. I didn't die on the cross for a structure. Mm. God was saying, I really don't care. <laughs> Churches and denominations are structured all kinds of ways. Go for souls. <laughs> Go for people coming to Christ. And don't shed your blood for a structure. I am, I'm not making this up. That really helped me. And that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I just want you to know that you never get to the place in life where you never get bothered by anything. But we've got to give it to God. Amen? And let the Lord replace the hurt or the bitterness with love. Now, that's the grace of God. Amen. The love of God. That's what the Bible says. Don't, um, 
don't, don't be bound by a spirit of fear. Now, I know I am adding these words, but I think they're certainly in the flow of the Scripture. Don't be bound up by bitterness, but be filled with love. And I'm not now speaking to you. I'm speaking to uh, all the people you know. There sure is a lot of bitterness hanging around the church. There are a lot of people that are upset about a lot of stuff. Maybe because we live in America and there's a whole lot to be upset about in America. Most Americans are half mad anyway. <laughs> they're, just, they're just mad about a lot of things. You know that that irritation and that anger gets into the church. And so, uh, Lord, help us as leaders at Nazarene Bible College that we won't perpetuate the feeling of bitterness or it wasn't right or it's not fair. But you know, the love of God is greater. And some things aren't worth shedding blood for. Come on now, let's don't die on that hill. Come on, come on. I'm just talking to you about how you'll be talking to others. Come on, let's get over that. Give it to God. Brother Deal said, put it on the altar. Well, it's a person. Well, put them on the altar. <laughs> Well, how do you do that? Well, I write their name down on a piece of paper and bring it down and say, there they are, Lord. Do something with them. <laughs> Amen. I'm not telling you to do this right now, but anyway. <laughs> are you with me today? This is the world that we live in. <clears throat> Love is the opposite of bitterness and all of the rest. I have been directed uh, along the line to a scripture, if I can get the Bible to open at the right place, that somewhat pictures to me, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, and it is in verse 22. And, well, I guess 22 is enough. 23 is just as, just as good. 1 Peter 1. The life of the Spirit-filled, sanctified, the life filled with love, not bitterness, this is the way it works. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have purified your souls, we believe in that. We're a holiness church. We believe in heart purity. We believe the Holy Spirit can come in his sanctifying power and purify our hearts from the carnal selfish will until we're filled with the Holy Spirit, not my selfish spirit. Since you have purified your soul in obeying the truth, there, that's good preaching, obeying the truth, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we can't purify our own soul, the Holy Spirit of God does, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Woo, that would solve 98% of all the problems in every one of our churches if we could just live that. Don't you really believe that? That one verse is some kind of powerful. Since you have purified your souls by obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Lord, help me to live like that. That's 
that's not only good doctrine, that's good uh, ethical practice. That's, that's the way we ought to live. I just want to say this morning, I challenge you this year, 2012-2013 school year, for yourself and your part of NBC and the students that you interact with, love these young men, love these young women, or some of them maybe, maybe not young. They come at midlife, they come at, along the line. By the way, some of them come here having been hurt where they were. And they are dealing with carryover and maybe bitterness and a whole lot more. They don't need any more. They need for you to reach out with fervent love to them. Fervently loving, not, not, not for some ulterior motive or reason, but because God has given you a, a fresh new love for God and a fresh new love for people. Boy, did I have to pray that a lot as a pastor. Lord, give me a new love for my people. Because if you don't, you get a little ir irritated at them. Because <laughs> somebody's acting up all the time. You know, that's the way life is. So Lord, help you help me to love one another fervently with a pure heart. That, that's, that would not be a bad, um, that would not be a bad trademark for Nazarene Bible College. I'll tell you one thing, if you go to NBC, they'll love you there. They'll take care of you there. You know, that's good. That's really good. Well, <laughs> leads me to another verse, that, uh, and the only other one that I'll take time to loop into this this morning. <clears throat> that's very, at the very last of 1 Corinthians. And there Paul was talking to a troubled church. If anybody says to you ever in one of your classes or online or anywhere else, I've just been praying lately that God will help me to be a Christian like they were in that Corinthian church, you know they haven't read their Bible yet. <laughs> if they want to be like that, they're all messed up. This 1 Corinthians is a, is a book of trying to straighten out people that are all crossed up. And finally, after Paul gets through all this, and I have every one of his admonitions highlighted in, in uh, yellow that you can see here. You quit doing this. Stop doing that. Straighten up, you, you, you bunch of clowns. No, he didn't call them that. But anyway, he called them worse, I think, in some places. Straighten up. Now, he stopped uh, all of that, which is excellent. I mean, if you preach through 1 Corinthians, you've touched every problem known to man. It's all there. So that'd be a great series for anybody's church. But then he says, says these words in the 16th chapter, 13th verse. Watch. Watch out. And does that ever apply today? Watch out. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't be taken by the winds and waves of doctrine that are floating around in this day and age. Man, there's everything trying to get into our church from, is this okay to say, from New Age to Oprah theology. Watch out. Watch out. Don't believe everything you hear. Stand fast in the faith. Brother, will that preach? Stand fast in the faith. Believe something. Don't just be 
you know, going with the tide and the wind. Watch out. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Sounds like we're in a war. Sounds like we're in a battle. We are. So be brave. Be strong. Oh, man, what a description of, uh, of spirit-filled Christians. Watch out. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave, brother, sister. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. It seems to me that he's giving this pep talk. It's almost like a coach saying to his team or her team, come on now, watch out, stand fast, be brave, be strong, get out there. But now, let all that you do be done with love. It's just a whole switch of, uh, of his whole tone right there. And when I saw that, all of this good, amen, that's right, we're going to do it, we're going to make it. But it better be saturated with love. We can even be against wrong doctrine with the wrong spirit. We've even got to confront wrong in an attitude of love. Amen? Even when we correct or discipline our children, we even have to do that in an attitude of love, not of hatred or hurt. And all of that, man, and that's what, that's what the, the Scripture's about that was on the screen. Uh, don't be bound. Don't be bound by fear, but be filled with power. And I'm adding, don't be bound by bitterness, but be filled with love. So what? So we're going to watch. We're going to stand fast. We're going to be brave. We're going to be strong. But we're going to saturate everything we do with the love of God. Amen. Everything. Well, uh, I, I was, as uh, was mentioned by Dr. Matson here a little bit ago, and we have known each other since we were teenagers, chasing each other around the campground at Iowa, youth camps. He comes from northern Iowa, Brit. I believe it is. I come from central Iowa, Des Moines. That's a long, long time ago, but for some reason, Iowa never gets out of your system if you're born and raised there, at least to some degree. And I haven't lived in Iowa since 73, but uh, I'm still proud of the old Hawkeyes back there. And uh, God bless them all. So anyway, uh, from Iowa to wherever I went, to wherever I went, to Denver finally, and then Denver First Church. I want to tell you one thing that happened there as I close. I heard when I was the pastor of Denver First, now you have to realize that's been a little while ago. I've been a general superintendent for 16 years after that, and I've been retired from that for three. What is that, 19? So this was 22, 21, 22 years ago. To me, it was only a, week, uh, a year ago. But, you know, I want you to know that. And uh, some of the staff told me in casual conversation, Hey, have you heard what um, some people call us here at Denver First? We have, a, we have a tag that some people know about. And I said, no, what's our tag? We're the church of the second chance. Really? Yeah, they said, uh, we have really rescued a lot of people who have been beaten up and wounded in other churches, other denominations. And Denver First is a little bit larger. So people can come and kind of hide. 
in the shadows and, and get healed up. And they had a reputation. I don't know if that still hangs on, but it, they, we did have a reputation of the church of the second chance. Well, I like that. So I got to mentioning that publicly. You know, they, they tell we're the church of the second chance. I just want you to know we really want to be that. We're not putting that on our advertising, but we really want to be that. One Sunday, I was walking through the lobby, and I saw a very nice-appearing couple, a tall, very well-addressed man and a, and a very beautiful wife. And I knew that they were visitors because I had not seen them there before, and they had three very well-behaved teenagers with them. And I greeted them, figured they were from out of state, and they were very um, vague about where they were from. We, yes, with the first, first time here. And come on in. You're going to enjoy the service. God bless you all. Whatever I said. And they came in. And I kind of lost them in the shadows. But uh, that man called me that week. Called me on the phone. And he said, Pastor, I really need, to ha I need, to, I need an hour can I have an hour of your time this week? And I said, sure, we'll find it. How about whatever, whatever time? He said, I want to bring my wife with me. I said, well, that'd be great. Just both of you come. So whatever time it was, whichever day it was, they were there. They walked into that office, that pastor's office, pastor's study. And here's what they said. We'll tell you who we are if you won't tell anybody. He said, I have been the pastor of a rather large Baptist church in another state. He said, um, I'm, I'm trained, educated, ordained, but we just got chewed up and spit out. And that church has really about to destroyed our faith. And we're really concerned about our kids. And somebody said, move to Denver. And go to Denver First Nazarene. That's the church of the second chance. And they'll put you back together. That just almost made me cry to hear the guy say that. He said, is that right? And I said, well, we really are trying to do that. He said, now I need to understand. If my kids get into your youth group, Will the kids treat our kids okay? Or will they shun them? They're not Nazarenes in the background, and sooner or later that's going to come out. I said, I will do everything in our power. I'll tip off the youth pastor, not telling them everything, but I'll let him know enough that we, we, want, we want to help these kids. And they've come from a situation where they, they need healed up. I can, I can say that. And we talked for an hour, and here's what he said. I couldn't believe what he was saying to me, but you could tell the man, <laughs> I believe it pastored a church larger than Denver First Nazarene. He looked at me and he said, we don't want to sit under the balcony in the shadows. Would you care if we'd sit on the front seats? If you've ever been to Denver First, you know the front seats are some of the first ones taken. And I said, you got to get there five or ten minutes early, but get down there, you'll kick somebody out. But anyway, get on the front seats. 
And then he said, now here's, here's what you're going to have to promise me today. I'm not making any of this stuff up. It's almost hard to believe this stuff. He said, we'll be there if you will never, ever call me to pray publicly. I don't want to get up, do anything publicly, and you will never, ever tell my story while I'm sitting there. I said, you have my promise. I'll never tell who you are. I'll tell your names, and you've moved here from XYZ City, and you work at wherever you work. But what you, who you are and all of that, I'll never tell. You need to get healed up. He said, all right, I, you know, I'm cutting through all this. We prayed, we shook hands. He said, I'll see you Sunday on the front seat. This very fine man and lady were on the front seats, and the kids were in the youth group. And I was just praying, you know, as I was preaching silently, help them, Jesus, help them, Jesus. <laughs> Heal these folks, Jesus. Man, they're nice-looking people. God bless them, Jesus. And, you know, you carry right on. It wasn't too many weeks until that pastor that no one knew was a pastor stepped out of the front seat and knelt at an altar and gave to God the crowd that had eaten him up. And the men all gathered around because they had, they had discovered him by now, but they didn't know really all the back, background. And they prayed, and, and that man did what I'm trying to describe. He surrendered it to God. He put it on the altar. He put it on Jesus. And it was another week or two, and his wife stepped out. She came because it many times hurts the lady deeper than it even hurts the man. And she had to process it a little longer, and she came. And God bless the dear lady. She let it go and gave the hurts and the people that caused the hurts gave it to God, and they got up, and they were weeping, and people were crying with them, and they were hugging everybody in sight, and another victory had been won, and I couldn't tell anybody, but I could rejoice in my own soul. The church has been the church. We're, we're helping another couple to have a second chance, and you don't get up and preach that while they're sitting there, but you just... Say, thank you, Jesus. They started to get involved. They started to do other things. The kids got into the youth group. They became part of a prayer meeting crowd. Well, I don't want to get into all of it, but for a year, they were a blessing. In a Sunday school class, uh, they would contribute. Uh, the people knew they were pretty, pretty smart when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> and it was... Uh, it was quite a thing developing. And one Sunday, after the service, they hung around a little. They walked up to me. They didn't shake my hand. I guess they hugged me. They said, um, we're healed up now. We're, we're ready to go again. You and the people have uh, healed us with the help of God. I've been called by Focus on the Family. They want me on staff. We're moving to Colorado Springs. But we'll never forget First Nazarene in Denver. You were the church of the second chance. And they moved to your city. 
and that's the end of my knowledge, they might still be here. They might still be out of focus. All I, all I know about is the, is the year of healing. And they think Denver First is a church that will love you back to health. May it be true. <laughs> May it be real. May that be Nazarene Bible College. Because you have people coming here silently saying, not only teach me, but heal me. I'm all messed up. I think one person hinted that to me last night after the service, that they are here for more than an education. They're here to get healed up from what has happened in their past. <laughs> Praise God they've come to the right place. Amen. And may your tag be, that's the college that loves you. That's the college with the help of God that'll put you back together. So tell the people to watch out, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, but be sure to read the next verse and let all that you do be done with love.